to record them, so we're going to use that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this has been absolutely amazing. Uh, the presence of God has been amazing. Clayton, Tiffany, Clayton. wow. Yeah. If we put Alyssa on the same stage, I think the kingdom would come. I, mean, just, I think we should just do it. Yeah, wow. If you have your Bibles or your smartphones, I, I'd, like, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. Uh, Tim has given me the responsibility of describing the kingdom. You know, Jesus said an interesting thing. He said, the kingdom of God comes without observation. Because the kingdom is a, it's a backward, counterintuitive kingdom. Uh, you'll never hear a knock on the door, something saying, this is the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom comes to us backwards. It comes to us in other people. Uh, it comes to us in righteousness. It comes to us in peace. It comes to us in joy. Yeah, it comes to us in suffering. And when it comes, if we're not looking into what is coming, we miss it. So he said, be careful. Because it comes without observation, so you better have eyes to see, you better have ears to hear, or you're going to miss it. So he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. And I would suggest that when the kingdom comes, it comes to us both as a, as a truth as well as a way. It's not so much the truth that is difficult to understand, although it is definitely um, out there. But it is far more difficult for us to perceive the way of the kingdom yeah. than for us to understand the truth of the kingdom. Right. Difficult because the way of the kingdom is above our way. It, it's, it's above our understanding. It's a, it's a mystery. And Paul told us that we're to be regarded as those that are stewards of the mysteries. It's 1 Corinthians 4.1. This is how people ought to regard you. Servants of Christ, stewards of the mystery. But there is a demonic demand that demands that we understand mysteries. So when mysteries come to us, we are constantly pressing for understanding. But mysteries aren't to be understood. Mysteries are to be stewarded. So when a mystery like suffering comes to us, and there's a demand in us to understand, you can't understand what's not understandable. You can't perceive what's imperceivable. You can't explain what's inexplainable. All you can do is steward. And the Greek definition of the word steward is to be an overseer. Or when mysteries come, we are to see over what's unexplainable and root ourselves in the solid surety, surety of what's understandable. So in the midst of that, that mystery, I can't explain what's happened to me. I can't explain betrayal. I can't explain loss. I can't explain death. I can't even begin to understand it. So when it comes and there's that demonic demand for understanding, I drop down into my identity as a steward. I see over what's unexplainable, and I root myself in the surety of what I know to be absolutely true. And the absolute truth is in the midst of mystery, God is still good. Come on. Come on. This 
is how you are to be regarded. Stewards of the mystery. The mystery of God, or the kingdom of God, is a mystery. How do you explain it? Let alone, okay, let's take the next 20 minutes and explain the kingdom. (laughs) So as we're going to see in these next two verses, the way of the kingdom is often surrounded by the way of suffering. But it's not just suffering, it's suffering with redemptive purpose. In the redemptive purpose of suffering, we understand the context of the higher way. Matthew eleven twelve. Jesus said, the kingdom of God suffers. Kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. But if we can kind of take all the poetry out for a minute, and just shuck it down to the cob. The kingdom of God suffers. Scripture tells us in Acts 1.3, to those he also presented himself alive after his sufferings. Appearing to them over a period of 40 days, speaking of things concerning the kingdom. So there wasn't just death, resurrection, ascension. There was death, resurrection, and for 40 days, Jesus hung around. For 40 days, He was seen walking the streets of Jerusalem. For 40 days, He he was was giving a seminar on the kingdom. For 40 days, He taught. And in the, the center of that teaching was this reality of His sufferings. You can't separate Christ from his sufferings. The gospel of salvation might definitely come as the organ plays softly, but the gospel of the kingdom comes in the midst of suffering, of violence, and pain. But it's not just suffering, it's redemptive suffering. It's not just pain, it's redemptive pain. It's not just violence, it's redemptive violence. Suffering is the expediter of the kingdom. Suffering is the door opener of the kingdom. It's the way maker of the kingdom. Suffering is the manner in which God mediates greater dimensions of kingdom life to us all. So suffering is never the conclusion. Suffering is always the announcement. So there there is something to to be stirred. And I'm not in any way making light of suffering, especially the present suffering that we're all aware of in this room. And with Sarah sitting right here. But I'm asking that we can, for a minute, allow what's already been parted for us to be parted so that we can see over what's right in front of us, to see over and to say, God... What do you have for us in this mystery? Because the suffering is not a conclusion. The suffering is announcement. Lord, what are you announcing to us? What was this announcement supposed to bring to our understanding? The kingdom is made up of levels and dimensions. Levels have to do with maturity. Dimensions have to do with transformation. 
Levels can be understood like grades 1 through 12. We go through, we go through levels and then we hit that grade 12 and then we enter into a brand new dimension called university. And we all know the dimension of university is a completely different thing than the grades that we went through. The disciplines are the manner that we get through the grades. We pray, we obey, we study, we do all that thing, and we mature from grade 1 to grade 12. Then there comes an announcement in the Spirit. And in that announcement of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit says this next change is not going to be a level change, it's going to be a dimension change. And in this dimension change, you can't get there through the disciplines, you can't obey your way there, you can't pray your way there, you can't fast your way there. The only way you can get into the next dimension is to die. And in the death process of that seed falling into the ground and dying, a dimension opens up to us. And in that dimensional change, we don't just mature, we get transformed. Suffering announces an upgrade. John the Baptist was the voice of one crying in the desert place. Prepare the way of the Lord. Couldn't happen in the marketplace. Couldn't happen at the shopping mall. Couldn't happen at Disneyland. It had to happen in that desert place. But the desert was not his destination. The desert was his preparation. And when we're in this place of suffering, it is so easy to think, this is my destination. I will be here forever. No, the desert place is never a destination. The desert place is a preparation. It's an announcement. It's God stirring things in our spirit saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. Because the glory that is about to be unleashed Because of the difficulty we are experiencing now, there is no way, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no tongue can explain the glory that is about to be released from that desert place. Suffering is the means by which God opens us up to the dimension of glory. Glory, it's the atmosphere of the kingdom. Glory is the coming of the kingdom. Glory is the culture of the kingdom. Glory is the atmosphere needed for the work of the kingdom to become the fruit of the kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of work of the kingdom and not as much fruit of the kingdom. And of course, what do I do? I pray, God, I'd like to see the work of the kingdom become the fruit of the kingdom. And the Lord says, do you really want to do that? Are you, are you really wanting that to happen? I say, yeah, I'm really wanting that. Are you sure you're really wanting that to happen? Uh, and then when I'm not really sure, I'm praying in tongues. And when I'm praying in tongues, I'm saying, Lord, go ahead, take me right out into that desert place. Bring me right into that place of suffering. Bring me right into that place of upgrade. Because I'm tired of being in the, in the work without the fruit. So go ahead, bring it on. Now... I'm really not here to define who is the source of suffering. I'm here to testify who's the finisher of suffering. Because the source 
you know, it's, it's a mystery. I can't explain it. I don't even want to explain it. But the finisher is not a mystery. The finisher, he is the finisher of our faith. So in the midst of all that is going, he's taking us from the work of the kingdom into the fruit of the kingdom. And he's using this agent called suffering. Several years ago, we had the opportunity of of doing a Bible study for the Seattle Seahawks for a number of years. And as we worked with the players, we had the opportunity to meet their agent. And whenever the player wanted an upgrade, he never negotiated his own upgrade. He called in his agent. The agent would come in and the agent would represent the player to get the amount of money that they felt the player needed. We don't negotiate our own upgrades. (laughs) Right? God, I deserve an upgrade. No, God sends his agent. And, And I know that it's like, well... That seems like a pretty cruel agent or a pretty cruel God. But we are so, we, I mean, we don't even have this perspective. It's like we've got, we've got this perspective. <laughs> and in, in this perspective, suffering, this looks horrible. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a good vantage point. But if somehow if God can, can lift us above and make us those stewards that are seeing over, we can say there is so much redemptive purpose in what's taking place right now that there, there should be something stirring inside. As Clayton, you've been singing, I feel it in my bones, it's about to move in. I feel in my bones it's about to, to stir. Something is taking place that we are going to move from a dimension of working to a dimension of experiencing the fruit. And God is using this agent called suffering, pain, violence. Romans chapter 8, you, you know the verse. For a spirit joins with our spirit to affirm we're God's children. And since we're His children, we're His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we're heirs of God's glory. And everybody say, But, how many of you know there's always got to be a big but, right? (laughs) But, if we're to share in His glory, we must also share in His suffering. Which means we don't understand it, but what we know is God's good. Amen? So God must see suffering as good. I mean, that's the only conclusion we can come to. If God is good and God is going to bring us into glory, but to get into glory, we have to first go through sufferings, then His vantage of suffering is not evil. It's not because He's he's some despotic God that just loves beating up His kids. He has an entirely different view of suffering. So He aligns us with His view. And in that aligning of the view, we get lifted up. And in lifted up, we're able to see over the experience and into the conclusion of what He's going to bring as a result of it. Those He called, He justified. Those He justified, He glorified. Past tense. 
Which means glory is not just something that we're waiting for in the hereafter. Glory is something to be experienced in the here and now. For several months, the Lord has been speaking to me about this subject of glory. Not the glory that we're waiting for in heaven. But the glory that Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would have right now. Father, the glory I had with you before the world began, I now give to them. If he gave us glory 2,000 years ago, and that glory has been incubating for 2,000 years, how much should we be experiencing the dimensions of that glory right now? When the scriptures speak of God sharing his glory with man, they speak of it both in the present and in the future. But the vast majority, and please check it out, the vast majority speak of that glory being shared now. Which means in suffering, future glory becomes now glory. In suffering, there's a dynamic that I'll explain in a minute. But in suffering, there's a dynamic that all that is is swelling around there in the future gets materialized into time space and it becomes our experience now. Suffering is catalytic. Suffering is causative. No one in the kingdom suffers as an end to itself. If we suffer with Him, then we will be glorified with Him. So suffering is the midwife of the kingdom. The midwife doesn't just come to hang out. You know, if if the midwife comes to hang out, it's Susie. You know what I'm saying? You know, she's not coming as the midwife to hang out. If she's just coming to hang out, she's just Susie. But if Susie shows up as a midwife, she's showing up to bring birth. Now, I'm just not here hanging out. I actually am here because it appears to be time. So when we see suffering, suffering doesn't just come to make you miserable. Suffering comes to bring birth. Suffering comes as an announcement that you have stayed at this place long enough. Now it's time to give birth to what has been stirring in your spirit. So in the midst of it, I, as I've never experienced, only you ladies have. In the midst of it, there, there is the ability to see over the pain into the child that's about to be birthed. Religion is a deception that's fueled by two devastating lies. The first is the lie of distance. That God is far removed and He's personally disconnected. He's anything but intimate, most definitely not an ever-present help in time of trouble. So the kingdom is past, it's perhaps future, but it's definitely not now. So we suffer for vindictive purposes, but certainly not redemptive purposes. The second is the lie of delay, which says even if God did care for us, He has no plan this side of heaven. The gifts can't help us because they were for a past era. The kingdom can't help us because it was past, maybe future, but definitely 
not now. Consequently, we read the promise of present glory, but we postpone it to a future kingdom, so our present sufferings produce nothing but despair. And it's all a lie. The lie of distance, the lie of delay, removes the redemptive purpose of suffering, and that agent of glory doesn't have the ability to deliver what he's supposed to deliver. So the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 2.10 that Jesus tasted death so that He could bring many sons and daughters into glory. Out of His death came our glory. His death wasn't vindictive. His death wasn't purposeless. His death wasn't just an empty thing that that, that brought an end. His death was an announcement. And in that announcement, you and I got ushered into this realm of present glory. And we will experience one day future glory. But the kingdom is in this present thing called right now the present glory of God that is coming to bring heaven's atmosphere and materialize it into time space so that we become representatives of a culture that is so transcendent to this world that when we manifest its nature it awakens the people into dimensions they've never been able to see before. So it's not just heaven in the hereafter, but it's glory in the here and now. Paul said in Romans 9-2 that we are vessels of mercy prepared in advance for glory. I don't know about you, but I spent 40 years teaching people that they were vessels of mercy. Totally missed the glory. So it's just preparation, preparation, preparation. Get a little bit better. Get a little bit better. You're a vessel. You're a vessel of honor. Just get a little bit better. Just clean yourself up a little bit more, and you can represent a little bit better. So disciple, disciple, discipline, discipline, on and on. And, and, and the whole purpose was missed. I'm telling you, just last week, I, I'm reading this verse, and it like it jumped out and slapped me in the face, and, and I, I, I saw it. Wow. The whole reason was we were being prepared for glory, but it wasn't just the glory that we got now. This glory, if you remember what I said last year, it, it, was, it was working in eternity past. Yeah. That in advance, we were being prepared for something way back, like you said to Jeremiah in 1.3, before you were even born, I knew you. Before we were even born, we were being prepared for glory. And for an eternity past, that a glory was, was incubating, it was developing. And then right now, whenever we are, October, it, it intersects time and space. And we all say, it's all been for this. We've been prepared in advance 
for glory. And now this agent called suffering or agent, whatever your agent has been, this agent comes to pierce the veil. And in the piercing of that veil, we step into what we have been prepared for eternity for. Glory. Heaven's atmosphere. Heaven's culture. Heaven's way. The customs of heaven. The government of heaven. The way of heaven. The love of heaven. All what heaven is, it invades time. And when we pray thy kingdom come, God says yes, it's coming now. Well, Lord, that looks like suffering. I prayed for the kingdom that looks like betrayal. Lord, I prayed for the kingdom and it looks like a ministry that I spent 40 years developing just rejected me. I prayed for the kingdom and it looks like I don't have any friends anymore. It looks like the kingdom. I prayed for the kingdom, but it looks like dot, dot, dot. Put whatever your story is in. The Lord says, yeah, it's a mystery. Don't try to understand it. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to explain it. Just look over it. And in overseeing it, you will be able to experience the glory it came to deliver. Heaven is a destination that takes us to Christ. Glory is a journey that makes us more like Christ. Heaven makes Christianity relevant to the future. Glory makes Christianity relevant to the present. Religion postpones the benefit of Christianity to the future so it has little to apprehend us in the now. So many accept Christ, but they live as if He's only relevant to the future. Without glory, there's nothing to apprehend us. That's why it's so difficult for the next generation to come into this. They come in with rules and regulations. The world is promising them whatever, and they come into the kingdom, and we promise them nothing except the future. Come in, lose everything now, and we'll get heaven in the future. I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't have a degree like you do, but it's not a whole lot to happen to me now. Glory is meant for now. And in, in, in the glory, things are, are, are taking place. Things are experiencing right now. I'm not waiting to get something in the future. The future came to me now. And in the future coming to me now, it's stirring something in me now. And I'm seeing that everything that I was grasping for before Christ, I'm experiencing now in Christ. I experienced every drug I could possibly experience, every way I could possibly experience it. And then when I tasted glory, I understood what I was looking for. This is what I was looking for. 
I mean, the hallucinogenics and the opiums and, and all the rest of it. And, you know, I did heroin for a number of years. Heroin was a taste. I mean, it's like a 30-second rush, but I thought, I think this is heaven. I really do. I think this is heaven. And then it followed by about eight hours of hell. You know, you're kicking your guts out for the rest of the night. And I think, why am I doing this? I'm doing it because I was made for glory, but no one is offering me glory right now. All they're offering me is a bunch of rules and regulations, and you can't do this and you can't do that. Frankly, I don't want that. But when someone actually brought me in the right way and I tasted glory, it it woke something up inside of me that I knew intuitively this is that. This is what I was looking for. I was looking for the future glory that invaded time-space and Jesus was offering me the atmosphere of heaven now. So living in the glory, it's central to our created purpose. Without glory, we'll never become our true selves. Because we were created in advance for glory. So without glory, there's just this big hole in me that, that never gets filled. Because I was created for that, but to get to that, i got to go through this. And in going through whatever that agent is, I get through the other side, seeing over, and then I step into, this is my identity. So what does the Bible mean when it speaks of glory? Now, let me just say, that the wonder of it means it's possible to define. Impossible to define, but... The glory of it means it's easy to describe. So the glory of God, it's His holiness. It's His weightiness. It's His greatness. His glory, it's His person. It's His power. It's His presence. Glory is His splendor, His significance. It's the full manifestation of His substance. Why do we need glory now? Because I need to be a husband of substance. Why do we need glory now? It's because I need to be a father of significance. Why do we need glory now? It's because we need to be brothers, sisters, employees, husbands, and wives. Whatever our title is, we need to be those that have something of purpose, something of meaning, something of of substance, something that defines us, something that distinguishes, something that actually sets us apart, that God is able to say, here, there's my son, my daughter of significance. Go ahead. Showcase who you are. Now, it's not a a drawing attention to ourselves because you know as well as I do, when we go through the hell that we went through to get there, there's nothing of self left. Mm -hmm. One of the things that suffering does is it drives it out of us. So then when God is able to showcase us, He can showcase us because He can trust us that there's nothing left in it for ourselves. So future glory is us going to heaven. Present glory is heaven coming to us. Glory, it's the active, tangible, intimate presence of God that comes to redeem, restore, resurrect, and recreate anything that missed the mark. So when we sinned, 
It was glory that we fell short of. For all of sin and fall short of heaven. No, it's not heaven that we fell short of. We sinned and we fell short of the glory of God. So salvation then is not just getting us into heaven. Salvation is getting us into the glory. It's returning us back to that created purpose. It's returning us back to what we we fell short of. It begins with me giving Him glory. We understand that. But when we give Him glory, He responds by giving us His glory. I don't know. I mean, doesn't the Bible say, my glory I will not give to another? Yeah, it does say that. But you're not another. We're not another's. We've been crucified with Christ. We are the righteousness of Christ. We are in Christ. We are not another. We are Christ. We are in Christ. He's not giving His glory to another. He's giving His glory to Christ in me, the hope of glory. So I'm going through what I'm going through for the purpose of receiving His glory. Sin is Satan's substitute for glory. We sin because we search in vain for glory apart from God. But sin is only a momentary pleasure where God's glory is an eternal gratification. Glory makes us Christians a substance. Glory is meant to, to set us apart so God has an opportunity to shine through us. Glory, it's the way in which the kingdom comes. Glory is the atmosphere in which we wage war. The weapons of our warfare, they're mighty because they originate in the realm of glory and they are meant to be used in an atmosphere of glory. I think we try to use the weapons in our own natural understanding. So we beat people up with them. Well, God is saying, now listen, they originated in a realm of glory. They can only be used in a realm of glory. So cultivate that glory realm. And when you cultivate the glory realm, the weapons work. I don't know if you noticed it last night. We're in the midst of worship, prophesying, fellowship, doing whatever we're doing, doing what the saints of God doing. And deliverance is taking place on the floor. Why? Because that's what happens when we get into a realm of glory. Cultivate a realm of glory and we'll wage war. And when we wage war, people get set free. It, it, just, it just happens. That, that's what God does. The angels show up and you know the six of them or seven are there and say, hey, by the way, let's go do some work. Because that's what happens in glory. So let me wrap this up say this. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. There is no affliction in the present moment that ever seems slight and momentary. Uh. 
Paul is not making light of the affliction that we might be experiencing. Rather, he's making heavy of the corresponding glory that we'll experience as a result. So he's standing outside of time. He's seeing what's taking place. And under the unction of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, this compared to that is slight and momentary. I know it seems overwhelming to you right now, but in comparison, what is going to take place over here is going to be an overwhelming, heavy, <laughs> splendorless, filled with glory experience that's going to come as a result. So suffering, it's catalytic. Suffering, it's the instrument of God that releases glory both in the here and now. So he says in Romans 8.18, For I reckon that the sufferings of the present are not worthy to be compared with the glory about to be revealed in us. Now here's the million dollar question. Lord, how do you define about? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like Joshua 3, prepare yourself for tomorrow. God will do great things. I don't know about you, but I had a lot of preparation and no today's. Just tomorrow's. Like I've been in tomorrow for a whole long time. Do you know where they were when God said, prepare yourself for tomorrow, God will do great things? They were in Shittim. <laughs> they were in the town called Shittim. In Shittim. I'm not swearing, I'm just telling you the truth. In Shittim, God said, prepare yourself for tomorrow, God will do great things. How many know that Shittim happens? It, it just does. And, and when we find ourselves in the midst of Shittim, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, we fix our eyes on what is unseen, because the glory is about to be revealed. Now, Paul never defines about. But the insinuation of about is it's sooner than later. Or he would have just said it's going to come a long time. So about gives us this posturing. It gives us this expectation. It's showing us how we can lean into the glory that's about to happen. In suffering, now this is so important, in suffering, time gets folded. So we've got, we've got the present suffering and we've got the future glory. And in suffering, the two get folded and they meet. So the future in suffering becomes now. In the folding, in the promise, in the splendor, in the glory, in all that God has said, He takes the present suffering that we're going through, the future glory that is promised, and He folds the two together. And in the folding, the future glory meets the present suffering. And in the two coming together, we step into the atmosphere, the culture, the manner, the customs of heaven. But here's the beauty. If we understand the continuum, when the two get folded, there's still some left, right? 
So it's still now and not yet. So I'm, I'm experiencing the two coming together, but, but if we can see the rope, the rope's still hanging down. There's still a whole dimension that's yet to be experienced. So, so as wonderful as the glory is right now, it's not all that we're about to experience. Because the about just keeps working. It, it just keeps happening. So four years ago, Mars and I had the devastation of our life, a ministry that we built for 40 years overnight was just gone. And I, I won't get into it, but we, we went through, through four years of, of, of daily death. I mean, four years of excruciating pain and suffering. I, I don't even know how to explain the pain. I mean, there were times that I literally wasn't sure if I was going to make it until Tim called. And as I said last year, he called me every morning at 5 o'clock for... I mean, I just had to get out of bed just to take the call. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so last uh, last uh, June, I was preparing for a message, and in this message, I had entitled the message "Seasons Change." Um, and we all understand the nature of seasons. We understand that winter comes, but you know, when winter comes, winter's the announcement of spring, and we we understand that that we're not in winter forever. Seasons change, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I think I'm pretty much through this season. I think, you know, for the last four years, I think that the season's about to change, and I was putting this, you know, incredible message together, and Marcy and I are in France, and we're having a wonderful time in France, and just experiencing the glory of France, and, and um, early one morning, you know, the only time I cry about this is when I think of my kids, but early that morning my, my daughter called and she said uh, dad um, there's there's been a there's been a, a tragedy and I said what's that and she said well the, the house caught fire and it's gone and I said what do you mean it's gone she said it's gone we, we had a house fire last night and it's it's all gone um, so long story short we have a library there was a extension cord plugged into the wall the extension cord sparked cut the books on fire um, it, so it totally destroyed the inside of the house. So every possession we own, other than what we had in our suitcase, was, was gone. So in the midst of it, one of the things that the Lord had been training us was, was trust. So Mark and I looked at each other and we said, Hey, it's gone! <laughs> yeah, it's, it's gone! I mean, it's, it, it's gone. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, as I, you know, I'm, I'm preaching, I can't be lying. I, I, it was like, well, number one, I, I guess the season hasn't changed. Um, <laughs> number two, he's brought us this far in trust. I'm certainly not going to stop now. No, no, no. So we, like Joe, Lord, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Now, let, let me... Let me just close by, by saying this. If we suffer with Him, we'll be glorified with Him. So we have the suffering of everything lost. We come home and we had to you know, go through all, all of our stuff. And then I stood as, or we stood as, two dumpsters came in our driveway. And we saw our entire life go into a dumpster. Everything that, I mean, not just the possessions, but the, the memories yeah. behind the oh. possessions. Oh. And as our clothes went into the, suf- into the, the dumpster, I thought, well, there goes all my past coverings. Mm. 
As the furniture went into the dumpster, I thought, well, everything that I used to rest in, hide behind in the dumpster. As the walls went into the dumpster, I thought, well, all the walls that I've erected in the dumpster. As the ceiling went into the dumpster, I thought, well, all the limitations that used to hold us back, no more ceilings, all in the dumpster. Now, here's the promise. Because we're insured, all things are going to be new. But, you got to go through the fire. So the insurance man came, went through all the details, and I, I, I won't you know, bore you with all the details, but, but basically, everything brand new. Everything brand new. Brought up to date. 100-year-old home, brought up to date. Absolutely incredible. So we signed the deal, and then we look while they obliterate our house. I mean, obliterate they tore everything out. I mean, every piece of wallboard, every the ceiling's gone, the roof's gone, the siding's gone. I mean, our house is stripped down to the studs. And the more they stripped away, the more Morris and I said, Hallelujah. Because the more that gets stripped away, the closer we are to all things becoming new. Suffering changes the perspective of everything. Now here's the promise. In May, all things will be new. In October, it's obliteration. I mean, it's you go into it now, I mean, there's holes in the floor. Look out, you might fall through all the way through to the basement. I mean, it's just... So in the midst of the promise, we're holding on to the reality. So we're looking over the reality into the promise. I know in May all things will be new. It sure doesn't feel like it right now in October. So spiritually, we look at what's taking place, we look at the obliteration of what's happening in our life, and we've got to look over the obliteration, and we've got to hold on to the promise that if there is suffering, there will certainly be glory. And in the midst of it, when we can't explain it, we can't understand it, we've got to hold on to this rock-solid assurity that God is good and there is insurance. All things new. I close with this. Second, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. When it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as far as you share Christ's sufferings. In order that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Let's pray. 4, 12 and 13. Lord, we thank you that suffering is never an end. We receive the truth that suffering is an announcement. We receive the promise today that if the suffering has been immense, that the glory can only be immeasurably more. So we let go of it today, Lord. We let go of the misunderstandings. We let go of the lack of understandings. 
We let go of trying to figure the mystery out. And we just stand in the absolute surety that you're good. You're good. God, you're good. You're gooder than good. You're the best. You only do good. You can only do good. Now, Lord, we invite your glory. And in the midst of all that has been taking place, we invite your glory. We give you the mystery, and we receive in exchange the glory. We give you the pain and receive in exchange the glory. We give you the ashes and receive in exchange the beauty. We give you the disappointment and receive in exchange the joy. We find no fault with your way because we know you are good and you only do good. In Jesus' name. Oh my God.